0: You're listening to Working, a show about what people do all day. I'm your host, Jordan Weissman, and I want to start off with a little bit of uh, backstory about this episode. When my producer Jessmine and I first started working together on this series long ago in the early days of 2018, um, and we sat down for our, our, our initial brainstorming session, I am pretty sure the very first thing I said is, I would like to interview a firefighter. And now, today is the day. I am finally interviewing a firefighter. Uh, specifically, I spoke with Jason Powell. He is part of Engine Company 69 up in Harlem in New York City. And this was a, I think it's a serious episode. I mean, you know, fighting fires is, you know, there's a lot of joking and stuff in the firehouse. There's a lot of camaraderie. But it, it's literally a matter of life or death. And those topics come up a lot in the course of this interview. I learned a lot. I felt like it gave me more insight into a job everybody knows. And, you know, other than what you see in CBS serials, not many people know a lot about. And I hope you take away something new from it, too. What's your name and what do you do? My name is Jason Pell. I'm a New York City firefighter. And how long have you been fighting fires for? Just under four years. Is that, like, fairly new for your firehouse? Where
1: are you in the firehouse hierarchy? So there are probies, which are guys who are, like, you'd be considered uh, rookies. They are everyone who's been in the firehouse for 14 months or under. Then there are junior men, which is anyone who's not a probie who's been in the house for, like, seven years or or under. And then there are senior men who are guys with more time than that. So I'm a junior guy. You're a junior guy. So, what does that mean about your responsibilities as a firefighter? Two things. One, that I'm always supposed to be training and I'm always supposed to be learning. Okay. But I'm also always supposed to be showing the guys with less time than me. So, like if there are probies in the house, it's my responsibility to make sure that they're doing what I'm doing. So, you know something about what you're doing, but you still have to, you're still a little lower on the totem pole than the. Right. So, there's always going to be new experiences. But as far as the basics of the job, as far as knowing my positions, knowing my tools, the senior guys don't have to train me on that anymore.
0: And uh, where where's your firehouse? We're in Harlem.
1: So what made you become a firefighter? I saw a documentary, and I think it was made in 2003, about the 9-11 dispatchers and how they had to keep telling people who were calling that the fire department was coming, that the police were coming, that they were going to be okay, even when they knew they weren't going to be okay. During that time, because of the radios went down, one of the captains called the dispatcher from a landline, and he told them that they were on the 52nd floor, Everyone beneath them was good, and they were still going up. And in my head, I had to think that those firefighters knew that they probably weren't going to live at that point. If they were on the 52nd floor, and they're still going up. But they kept going up to make space and ways for people to come down. And to me, that's like the height of bravery. At that point, I was working in a shoe store. I was a manager. I felt like I'm not really doing much of my life. Everyone thinks firefighters risk their lives to run into burning buildings to save people's lives. But literally, the only thing that firefighters do is help people and train to help people. I feel like that's an amazing thing to be able to say about your job. So I wanted to become a firefighter since then. What did your family say when you said that was? So when I decided I wanted to be a firefighter, I looked into it, and the, the fire department gives tests every four years, so I was out of the cycle. And then there was a, a freeze for a little while, so for a while I couldn't become a firefighter. When I was able to take the test, and I took the test, and I scored 100 on the written part, and I told my family because I was happy about it, they weren't happy about it. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm the youngest of nine, and... Uh, a lot of my siblings are out in places that might be considered dangerous. My sister's a marine, another one of my sisters teaches in Africa at that time there was the uh, Ebola virus thing going, so my mother didn't want another child to worry about,
0: yeah, but it feels like that kind of runs in the family like is there sort of a certain attraction to danger and um, or a desire to be to be
1: brave? I think there's an attraction to adventure, yeah right? and I don't know if that is a desire to be brave. I think uh, things interest us, and we want to explore it. My father, he was a boxer before they started having kids, and then my mother asked him to stop, and then he worked for transit. And we're hardworking people, I think, everyone in my family, but I don't know that our jobs the attraction to them was, was the danger of it. It was just what would be interesting.
0: And so you scored 100 on the, the written section. That's out of 100. Or That's out, out of a of...
1: possible 115.
0: Okay, it's, so it's pretty good. Yeah. But your mom w- was anxious. Your your parents were anxious that you were going to go off and run into burning buildings. For... So
1: my father was very supportive of it. He passed away before I actually got on the job. Sorry oh, to hear that. Thank you. But um, he was the only one in my family who was supportive of it. My mother... Didn't want to show that she wasn't supportive of it, but <laughs> her attempts to act normal was was evident that she wasn't supportive of it. <laughs> I don't want to tell you not yeah. to be a hero. But like telling me, oh, you just got promoted to store manager in Fifth Avenue. You don't want to stay there? I'm like, it's not the same thing. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. So
0: once you take this test, what comes next to you? Is there sort of a, an academy you go to or what happens? Right.
1: So you take the written and then they put you on the list. So the highest possible score is 115 and then they go down. So they start with the top of the list and then you go down. So I, I got 100, but there was, my list number was 2771, which means 2,770 people scored higher than me. So the average academy class is like maybe 300 people. So when they start off that list, they do in intervals of 300. It's not necessarily that I have to wait 2,770 people. Some people may defer. Some people may not be eligible for it. So between the taking the tests and getting into the academy, there's a, a bunch of other things. There's a physical you have to take. There's a medical you have to take. There's a psych exam you have to take. There's a background investigation. So that process took four years. Four years. Yeah, so I scored a hundred in 2012, and then I got on the job at this in the last class of 2015. How old were you when you first applied? 29. Did you continue working in the shoe store during that time, or just? I continued working. I went to F. A. O. Schwartz. Oh, cool. Yeah, and then uh, I went to C. O. Bigelow, which is America's oldest pharmacy. Yeah. And I was there for the remainder of the time, which was the three years. But they really make you wait for it. Yeah, they really make you wait for it. But it's like <laughs> it's... it's not as if you're just waiting for years. You, you have yeah. to actually do the process. Yeah. You know, so, like, during the time I was training for the physical, you know, staying healthy for the medical type of thing. Tell me about the physical. What do you have to be able to do? It's an obstacle course. You have to complete eight different obstacles in 10 minutes and 20 seconds. So the first three minutes and 20 seconds for everyone is the same because you have to do a stair climber wearing a 50-pound weight vest, and you can't hold the handrails. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when, when I was training for it, I was like, oh, this is nothing. And then when the day of the test, I was doing it, and... So in my head, I'm singing a song because I'm thinking if I sing this song three times, it'll be three minutes to 20 seconds. So I'm singing a song in my head and I'm like halfway through the second time. And the instructor goes, one minute. And I was like, oh, I only have a minute left, a minute, 20 seconds left. And then he said, two minutes. And I was like, he's counting, he's counting from the bottom up. I was like, this is going to take It was the longest minute and 20 seconds of my life that, after that. But yeah. then once you do that and you feel like your legs are strong, it's like the excitement gets you through. Yeah. What song were you singing as you're I, climbing? <laughs> All right, I'm going to say this, but only because the girl I was dating at the time suggested it because of the length of the song. I was singing um, Katy Perry's Heart of a Lion. I'm going to roar. Roar, yes.
0: (laughs) You're you're sitting there climbing this thing with 50 pounds on your back (laughs) singing Katy Perry to yourself over and over again. I
1: didn't tell anybody else that, but in my head I was singing that. Oh, man,
0: that's that's great. (laughs) It it got me (laughs) through, though. So you're do- So you have to you have to be able to climb fifty pounds on your back. Basically, I guess that's because you have to be able to run up with all the gear if into a building
1: or whatnot, right? Oh, well, we, we don't necessarily run firefighters, but our gear weighs about that much. Yeah.
0: Okay. So that's that's the weight you're right.
1: you're loaded down with. What other kind of stuff or do you have to? And then we do it's like simulates things that we would actually do on the job. So like, there's a rope pull. There's a ladder raise. There's a things I use like with a pole, simulates what. Firefighters do when they're overhauling, like after a fire when we're uh, checking to see if there's any extension. So the eight obstacles are things that you would be actually doing on the job without the actual tools.
0: Yeah. So it's literally testing if you can do the, f- the physical job. Right. It's so it's not like weights or whatever. Yeah.
1: And on the job, we're not going to have 10 minutes and 20 seconds to do it. Yeah. You know, it's like we're, we're doing it as it's needed, but the ability to do it in 10 minutes and 20 seconds should be enough to get you to train to do it well. How long did it take you to train up for that? So the fire department offers training courses. The physical is called the CPAT. So I took CPAT training classes for four months before the actual CPAT. And the way it works is when you take the CPAT, when you're scheduled to do it, you get two practices and then the actual CPAT. If you pass the first practice, then you don't have to take it. It counts as a score. So the first practice I did in eight minutes and 14 seconds, and I was done.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah.
1: So you were ready. Yeah. So I did in eight minutes, 14 seconds, and I, I felt so good about myself and I went I uh, met up with the guys that I was training with and they all lit in like under seven minutes so I was like just oh. <laughs> scrubbed yeah I, mean, <laughs> I don't need to talk about it anymore I wonder like how long that
0: would take me <laughs> I know it would happen I'd fall off the treadmill or the, <laughs> the stair
1: stairmaster. no I think if you saw it the first time and you did it the first time, it would take you over 10 minutes to 20 seconds. Yeah. But if you had four months to do it like I did, then I'm sure you can do it.
0: So you passed your test. It took you four years to get on the job when you finally did. Had you ever been in a firehouse up until that point?
1: To be honest, I had no desire to go in a firehouse. Like, even after I decided I wanted to be a firefighter, I wasn't really curious as to what the firehouse looked like. Why not? I don't know. Like, for me, I was wondering... In my head, I thought I wanted to be a firefighter. And then when I took the test and and I'm thinking I want to be a firefighter, I felt like I wanted to belong in the firehouse. So I was more worried about being in shape and being the type of firefighter that I think firefighters are. So, like, firefighters are called for anything that's considered an emergency. So I started teaching myself to be handy with tools. I wanted to feel like the actual person. I didn't think about the house. It just wasn't something that I thought about. So what was it like the first time you, you stepped in? You know, when I was... Telling people that I was going to be a firehouse, like, there were the obvious jokes. Like, women were saying, oh, you're going to slide down the pole, and, and you guys were <laughs> the, the walking around topless, and I was like, I'm not in the firehouse yet, yeah, I am not And everybody kept calling it a fire station, and it just it rung, wrong to my ears, and I kept correcting them firehouse. The first time I was in the firehouse, so there's like a tradition where when you present yourself to the firehouse that you're going to, you bring a cake. So we, I came I came from the academy, I brought a cake, I knocked on the door, the doors went up, and they were leaving for a run. So the senior man at the time, his name was Joe, he's the second-to-senior man, he, uh, he knew my name, he let me in, he said, make yourself comfortable, we'll be right back. And they went out, and I was in the firehouse by myself. And I'm like, in the academy you hear about things like, probies aren't supposed to do, like probies can't go into the TV room or probies shouldn't go into the office. I'm like, I don't know where to go, so I'm just gonna <laughs> stay in the kitchen. But I looked around the first floor and I looked around the second floor and I was like, this is an actual house. Like there's there's uh, there's bunk rooms, there's laundry rooms, there's a gym, there's bathrooms for men and women. I'm like, this is an actual house. And, it, and then it makes sense to me that this is why it's called a firehouse. Police stations, I don't, to my knowledge, they don't do 24 hour shifts. In the firehouse sometimes we do 24 hour shifts. So we call each other brothers and everyone comments on our camaraderie. And I think that's why people think it's called a firehouse. But it's actually like a house. Everything that we need to survive in the building for 24 hours is there. It seems like it's a little bit like a dorm. It's like a dorm, yes. But with poles and a, and a jo-
0: <laughs> do you? I mean, is there a pole? Like, no, there are. Oh, yeah. There are? Yeah, yeah we, the we do
1: use the poles. It's not sexy. It's, just, it's more convenient. So like on the second floor, this where we have like the bunk rooms or where we have rooms where we relax during our downtime. We're out of the house in 45 seconds, no matter where we are. Mm-hmm. So coming down the pole is a lot faster than taking the stairs. So that's the time limit to get to the truck, 45 seconds? I don't know if it's universal across the department, but in our house, we only be on the rig and outside in 45 seconds. And I'm working in the press desk for a couple of weeks, and I'm looking at the response times for uh, the houses. Everyone is from their firehouse to where they're assigned within three to five minutes all the time. So I'm assuming that's across the board.
0: I'm trying to get the layout more in my head. So you you kind of have the dorms, the laundry rooms, the poles, the trucks, I guess, down on the ground floor. What else is there in that
1: house? So on the first floor, which is what we call the apparatus floor, is where the rigs are. The rigs are the trucks. And I'm describing my firehouse specifically. They're not all the same. So on the first floor, we have the rigs. And then we have an area where guys usually talk about. So like a lot of the drills get done on the first floor. And then it gets discussed in that area, like a sitting area. So it's like a bench, a wooden bench with a table where we sit and we discuss the uh, drills or where we do the roll call. And then if you go through a red door, there's a kitchen. To the right is a commissary. To the left is a TV room where guys who with, with more time, that's where they hang out. So like instead of them going up to the bunk room on the second floor, for instance, the guys who drive the rig, they'll hang out down there at night so that when the bells go off, they can get the rig on and they can have the radios on so that we can listen to the dispatcher immediately. Because it's a shorter distance. Right. So the kitchen's there. At the end of the kitchen to the left is the dining room. And that's where we all eat together. We eat eat lunch and dinner together. The breakfast people are coming at different times. So, you know, Mm -hmm. we don't necessarily eat together. That's the first floor. In the basement is where we train. So like in the basement, we have simulations of doors like apartment doors in projects, apartment doors in residential homes, and we simulate how to force the door. So to get out of the academy, you have to be able to force the door in a minute and 20 seconds. Our house has a reputation for being great at forcing doors. So once we're probation, we force the door in 30 seconds. Under 30 seconds. Yeah. And then we also have a maze that we do. It's called mask appreciation. So it simulates going through a cluttered house. So we put on our full gear, we put on a face mask, we put on an oxygen tank, and we have to maneuver through the maze from start to finish. But Physically, we can't do it if we were just dressed normally. So we do maneuvers that so we put the mask to the side or we take the mask off and slide it on the first. It's to simulate going through houses that are cluttered because you're, you're almost never going to go through a street-run apartment where there's nothing in your way. How often are you training now? As a junior man, we train every day. So I'm, I'm assigned to the engine. Do you know the difference between engines and trucks? Absolutely not. <laughs> Tell me everything. All right, so a rig is a, is a name for a truck. So there's engines, there are engine rigs, and then there are ladder rigs. Okay. Ladder companies are the rigs that you see that have ladders on the back of them. Engine companies are the rigs that you see that have holes on the back of them. Ladder companies are referred to as truck companies. So, so truck equals ladder. Yes. Engine equals fire hose. Right. And you're on the engine. I'm on the engine. So, so you're, you're one of the guys who's bringing the water. Yes. Okay. In a very basic term, the engine's responsibility is to put out the fire. The ladder company's responsibility is to find the location of the fire, get out any civilians, and do ventilation. And each firehouse has an engine company and a ladder company? No. Or or no, it doesn't. Um, I'm in a double house. So there are single engine companies and there are single ladder companies, but they're usually in the same area and they run in together. My house has an engine and a ladder in the same house, and we also have a chief. So as far as the question for the drills, when I was a probie, all my drills were engine drills, except for like forcing doors is like a ladder drill. But um, because we do EMS a lot and sometimes we have to force our way into homes where the person can't get to the door, we do those drills all the time also. But for the most part, as a probe in the engine, you're doing engine drills. You're learning all the tools on the engine. You're learning how to stretch a line. You're learning how to use a multiversal, which is a unit that has a line with a wider hose that you don't control yourself And it has the ability to use multiple hoses. When I'm off probation, I start doing ladder company drills also so that I can be familiar with all the tools on the truck. So it's two different skill sets, really. You guys specialize. Yeah. So there's jokes, right? Like the engine company, we can't do anything by ourselves. So like I I can't, I mean literally, like I can't stretch in line by myself because it's too heavy. So all three members of the engine company are stretching line together. So we move as a team. Yeah. The ladder company, those firefighters on that truck, they all go in individual places. So... There's five positions in the ladder company, including the, the chauffeur. Five people are going in five different directions. In the engine company, everybody's going into the, the same spot with the same line. So ladder company firefighters imply that engine company firefighters are not as tough as they are because they need each other to, to do, get their job done. <laughs> engine just... company firefighters point out that you can't put out a fire with, a, with an axe or boom, you need us to do it. So if ever I call the rig that I'm driving in a truck, yeah. I'll get in trouble because there's an engine. Oh, and like, and it's like engine versus truck. I like how what a polite description of how <laughs> you
0: guys bust each other's balls. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that's what it is. It's, it's like you're just like this is the debate that we that's uh, what it is, yeah. how it unfolds in the firehouse. So, like I don't want
1: to just come out and say that engine firefighters are better than the ladder firefighters, but it's obvious that we are.
0: See, so you, you spend all that time though, kind of training like daily. How many hours would you say you
1: spend training for a day tour, which is nine to six? Mm-hmm. I would say we spend three hours training. Oh wow! And
0: it, once you're past seven years,
1: you don't have to do that anymore. Right, you don't have to do it anymore. But it's the thing. So, like, technically, once in my firehouse, once I'm off probation, I don't really have to do it anymore. But I'm expected to because there are a lot of things I don't know. So I'm very comfortable with everything on the engine. I can be sent to any engine company in the city and I'll feel comfortable. In the truck company, there's a lot of tools I haven't used at a fire yet or an actual emergency I've only trained with. So I'm Mm -hmm. not as comfortable.
0: Can you give me an example of one of those tools?
1: Uh, What people call the jaws of life. is is actually a hearse tool. Okay. I've never actually used that in an emergency. The jaws of life are, that's what you pull someone out of a car with, right? right? Or, yeah, it's, it's used for extrication. So there's uh, cutters and there's are spreaders. So you can spread the doors apart or you can cut the uh, beam of a car and, and get somebody out that way. I'm in with a 28 truck. The guys in that truck company, if there's a car accident, they can have it set up and get somebody out in minutes. For me, I would have to go through the steps in my head and it'll take a long time. None of the guys with time are going to be saying, Jason, why aren't you training? But because I'm not as fluent with the tools as they are, then I should be training. It's expected of me to be doing it. So when you're on probation, you have people training you. When you're a junior man, you're training yourself and you're taking a little more initiative.
0: And I guess when you're on the job at a fire or at a car wreck, like people
1: notice how long it takes you to do something. That's right? the thing, right. So. Right. I I did an interview once. This might seem like I'm digressing, but I'm not. I did an interview once um, when I left FAO and I was going to Bigelow. I did an interview at Victoria's Secret.
0: Yeah, this is, I'm really interested to see how this (laughs) connects.
1: (laughs) So they were asking, it was a group interview, and they were asking about customer service. And I said, they asked me one of the problems with customer service that I saw at FAO Schwartz. And I said, the problem is when a customer comes in and they see you wearing a FAO shirt, they think, oh, this is an employee. He knows the answer to my question all they see is somebody that works there so they know the answer to my question so I can ask them anything they don't know that I'm a stock guy so I can't I can't answer the questions about sales they just see an FAO shirt so they think I can help them with anything when people see firefighters they assume we all know the same thing we can all do everything if I get to a fire and I'm a probie, that doesn't mean anything to the person I'm helping they think I'm here and I should be able to help them so that's what they they teach us in our firehouse so to seen the guys think once you're here once you're out of the academy, you're a firefighter. You are who people are calling when they need help. So you need to be able to help them fast. It's the reason why we move fast. the reason why we train every day. How many days a week are you working? So we're scheduled four days a week, four tours a week. How long is a tour? So a day tour is nine to six, and a night tour is six to nine. And do you sometimes do a day tour into a night tour? Or? Yeah, so the way it works is, let's so say you and I work in the same house. We have what we call mutual partners. So you and I are mutual partners. Every time that I'm working nine to six... You're working six to nine. And then every day that I'm off, you're off. So the way we get out of doing four days and doing two days is instead of me coming in nine to six Monday and Tuesday and you coming in six to nine on uh, Monday and Tuesday, I work twenty four hours Monday and I'll be off Tuesday and you'll be off Monday and work a twenty four hour Tuesday. Why is it that you have that buddy system? Uh just to avoid working four days a week, I said we if
0: we could. And then you can kind of manage with each other right. you can trade
1: off like that. One of the benefits to the fire department is the schedule. So like there are Many people in the firehouse who have second jobs and many people who get their degrees. So like to get promoted, you have to take a test. But aside from passing the test, you have to have a degree. So a lot of people will go to school on their off days and they're going to school full time, but they're still working 48 hours a week. They're just only working two days a week. So you get you can get three full weekdays to pursue a degree and you have a full time job. You can get five full weekdays
0: to do it. To oh, because you can also work on a weekend. Yeah. Oh, wow. So yeah. it really gives you a lot of leeway to kind of. And then we do it to the needs of the house. So it doesn't always work that way. Yeah, But it, it often does. And when you're doing one of those shifts, I mean, you can be called at any time during
1: that? Yeah, so we're always on call. And how many times do you get called during a week? So a busy day in my firehouse is 24 calls in a 24-hour period. Wow. And that happens often. My firehouse last year, the engine, we did just under 6,000 runs for the year. The latter company did just over 4,000. And the reason why the engine did more is because engines get EMS runs. And then the chief... He goes in every run that could be—that's a fire or that could lead to a fire or that's a major emergency. So he doesn't go as many runs as we do, but the chief did about 3,000 runs, which is a lot for a chief. So in the house, we all over like 13,000 runs. Wow.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a
1: lot. It's a lot. Yeah. But it's yeah. not as if me, Jason— 13,000 runs last year, you know? No,
0: but I just just think one house that many times that they're leaving. Something's going out that firehouse door. There's seldom an hour that
1: somebody's not going out. So it's just like kind of a constant hum of activity, it sounds like. Yeah. So we have three different projects in our first due response area, and a lot of them have like elevator issues or EMS issues. So we go to those things a lot for runs that are not fired. So the engine had just under 6,000 runs, but less than a thousand number fires that's still less than a thousand fires sounds like a lot of fire to me no no yeah <laughs> it's, no, it's, i'm not trying to minimize it i'm just saying like People often think that the only thing that firefighters do is put out fires and yeah. elevators and cats. But there's a yeah. lot of different—anything that's considered an emergency, we go for. Yeah, for the
0: EMS kind of runs, like what sort of—is that like car crashes? What type of
1: stuff is it? Yeah, so if there's a car crash, the latter company will go for that because it might be extrication. But the engine will go as an EMS engine. We're all certified in we're CFRs. We're certified first responders, so we can do like trauma or we can do CPR if needed. In our first two response if it's not an accident, if it's like someone calling because they're sick, it's usually just someone calling because they're sick. So we will go and we'll make sure that their sickness is not a life-threatening condition. And then we'll just stay with them until the ambulance comes and takes them to the
0: hospital. How often do you get kind of frivolous cats stuck in a tree type stuff? Not that someone's cat is frivolous. but no, you no, know. no. I know what you mean, yeah. And, <laughs> and
1: no, you preface it well because yeah. that's the other thing that the senior guys in my house talk about. So anything that somebody calls for is an emergency to them. So we can't move slower because we think it's, it's less of an emergency for us. However, things that are not like fire emergencies or life or death emergencies, uh, we get that pretty often, actually. It's not like cats stuck in a tree, but it's things that won't necessarily change if we're not there. But the person is afraid, so we just come to help. A lot of it is making people feel better without actually doing anything physical to help them. Can you give me an example? Yeah. So, like, uh, we had a EMS call for a child bleeding in the tub, which sounds terrible. Yeah. So, we got there and there was red liquid all over the floor but what it was was he cut his the palm of his hand and he was playing in the water <laughs> so it was red water all over the floor and the mother was hard of english and she was panicking she was trying to explain to us what happened and the daughter was like maybe seven years old and she spoke English and she's translating and she's like my baby's bleeding to death and the baby wasn't bleeding to death yeah but they didn't know that and was an emergency for them had we not been there the baby still would have been in the same condition the bleeding had already stopped it would have been fine but we were just calming her down, letting her We were playing with the child, and like the boy was probably the calmest of everyone. <laughs> we were playing with the child, and we were playing with the daughter. We were going over her multiplication chart. And by the time we left, everyone was smiling, and they were playing. But EMS didn't transport them. There was no medical emergency. But we were there for them because they that's what they needed, you know? When a fire call comes in, what do you do? Take me through it. All right, so when we get a call for something tones go off. It's like one high, one low. And it says, an automated voice says who's going on the call. So it'll say engine, ladder, battalion, battalion is the chief. If it's a fire, it's going to say all three. If it's EMS, it's going to say engine. If it's just an elevator, it's going to say ladder. So there's somebody in the house watch. A house watch is a room at close to the front of the firehouse Mm -hmm. where we monitor all the calls that come in on the computer. It's also where the phone is. It's also close to the door. So if somebody knocks on the door with an emergency, we can hear them and we can tend to it that way. So everyone else in the firehouse who's not in the house watch doesn't know what we're going on until the person in the house watch says it over the loudspeaker. So let's say we're all eating lunch or dinner and it says engine. Everybody stops and waits to see if it says ladder. And if it says ladder, everyone is perked up to see if it says battalion. So if it's all three of us, it's possibly a fire. So we're all getting up and we're going, and then we're getting ready to go, and we're listening to see what it is. When the person in the house watch says call for fire, wherever the location is. So aside from the tones, there are bells. We hit a bell just in case someone didn't hear the tone or just in case that part of it is not working. Five bells is for the engine only. Seven bells is for the truck. Four is for the uh, battalion. And then everyone going is three the seriousness of the emergencies also determined by the speed of the bells. So if it was all of us going for a CO... What's a CO? Detection of um, carbon monoxide. More than likely, 99% of the time, that's not going to be a deadly situation. So it'll be doom, 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 three bells. If it's all of us going for a fire, doom, doom, doom. Yeah. So what people in the house watch do is, if it's a fire, they do the bells first, and then they tell us where we're going and where the fire is. So everyone hears the fast bells, and we run to our put our gear on we get on the rig we find out where we're going so because we're out of the house so fast a lot of us are still getting our gear together and ready while we're on on the rig in the rig there's a TV screen that has the information of where we're going it has the building that we're going to it has the other units that are assigned to it so like there's a first do a second do and third do first do is everything in your immediate area you're the first company expected to be there second do is a little wider. A third do is a little wider than that. So if we're first do, we're moving fast. The screen will tell us who the second and third do companies are. It'll tell us where the fire is. It'll tell us whether or not there's a second source for the fire. If there's a second source, that's probably legitimate. What do you mean? But if you mean second source, you mean? More than one person has called about it.
0: Ah, uh, so, so if if, one person calls, it might be a fire. If it's two people, then it's almost
1: certainly. Right. So a lot of times what happens is someone is burns food on the stove. There's a code for that. It's 1026. If someone burns food on the stove and their neighbor smells the smoke, they're going to call because they smell smoke. Yeah. So we're going to move for possible fire. The person who burned the food on the stove is not calling because they know it's just food on the stove. So that's not anything. The same amount of units is still assigned, but then the first company calls and they tell the chief, it's a 1026, and the chief tells the dispatcher, and then everyone else knows that they can relax and go back. If there's a second source, more than one person thinks that there's a fire, so there's probably a fire. At that point, you send more people. No, so oh, no. the first two companies still hasn't confirmed that it's a fire. Oh, okay. And then the chief will tell the dispatcher and we'll send more people. Does speed. that
0: make any difference in whether or not you turn on the siren and the speed you go, or is it you're going at the same pace? No, no. so what? if it's a call for a fire
1: yeah. or a call for smoke, we're going lights and sirens if yeah. we're first, second, or third due. If it's a call for a CO and we're second due, the first two company can usually handle it themselves, so we'll go, but we won't go lights and sirens. Twice, when I was a pro, we actually we got calls for a gas leak and a CO that turned out to be fire. So the companies, the second two companies were going in regular speed, no lights, no sirens, and then they heard it was a fire. And then, I mean, by the t- it's this pretty small response area. So by the time the signal was given for a fire, we were already there, but they weren't expecting it. But that's the thing about Always being ready. You have to be able to turn it on at a moment's notice. Yeah, so they weren't ready for me, mean they weren't expecting it, but they had all their gear in ready. so all they had to do was hop off the rig and go put out the fire, but the only difference was they weren't going to the fire lights and sirens because they didn't know it was a fire. When you go out on a call, how many people are riding that engine? So there's four firefighters in the engine. There's a chauffeur, the guy who drives. And then there's three guys on the back step. The back step is in the cab. And their positions are assigned by where they are on the hose line. So there's a nozzleman who's going to be at the front of the hose line. There's a backup firefighter. Who's, his job is literally just to support the nozzleman because the hose line is heavy. Mm-hmm. So he's basically taking the weight off him so that there's no recoil. So he's right behind the nozzleman. And then there's the control guy. His job is to make sure the nozzle team has the amount of hose that they need. So like if we're doing a stretch, which is if we're taking the hose line off of the back of the rig and stretching it to a building... He counts how many hose lines there are. Then he breaks it, which is say he separates it from the rig. He gives it to the chauffeur to hook up to the control panel, which is where the water comes from. And he tells him how many hose lines there are because the amount of pressure that the chauffeur gives is based on how many hose lines are being used. If it's in a project building, we're going to hook up to a standpipe. So the control guy's job is only to stand at the standpipe and give the amount of pressure that we need. Kind of like a hydrant. It's sort of like an indoor hydrant. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the pipes that you see usually in the stairwells with a wheel on it. We go up to that and we give the amount of pressure that we need based on the amount of floors we're going. So it's usually we're just going one floor up. Which role do you usually play when you hop on the engine? So in the fire department, I think this is true. And I've I really only worked in my battalion, but the nozzle position on the engine is the most sought after position because it's the glory position. You're the, you're the <laughs> one who's putting out the fire, right? Yeah, now. you're the star of the show. Right, so most companies, you have to earn that position. So probies don't get it. In my firehouse... You get the nozzle position the day that you get into the firehouse until you get an actual fire. So the goal for my house is to take away the fear of putting on a fire. So You do a lot of dry runs, essentially. Right. So we'll drill in it over and over again, and I'll get the nozzle position. We'll put out like maybe a rubbish fire or a 1026 that might be extended to the counter, but nothing serious. When I get a serious fire and I put it out and I feel good about it and I feel like, oh, this wasn't that tough, and like, okay, now we can start sharing it between everyone else. So the senior man, whoever's working, whoever has the most time out of who's working that day decides who gets what position, but he's usually going to give it to the person with the least amount of time and the least amount of nozzle jobs so that they can have the experience.
0: Is that like, as you're running to the, the engine, he's kind of saying, hey, you nozzle, no, you... At no, at the beginning
1: of the tour, when we do roll call, they assign all the positions. So do you get to be the chauffeur sometimes? So in our house, in the engine, there's 25 people. It goes by the amount of time you have. So Mm -hmm. there's six people under me right now, but there's still three people over me who haven't gone to chauffeur school yet. You have to take a special training for that. Oh, so yeah. I I was about to ask about that. Yeah. So chauffeur school is two weeks, and they teach you how to, one, how to drive the engine, and then, two, how to use the pump panel, which is how you get the water. They teach you how to mitigate any situations that might happen where emergencies or things don't go the way they're supposed to. So you haven't actually gotten to drive the engine yet? No. Oh
0: man, that's I'll right. T- I'll tell you this. That's the
1: goal. It's not the goal. Right? No, it's not the no, goal. I, um, it's, that's that's what, for all of us watching. Like that's the cool part. Like you can move one of those things. I would like, like I would like a picture of me at the engine. You it do looks it? like a motion, but I don't actually want to do it. You wanna it. do it for the gram? Is yes, that, a- <laughs> that that's all I need really. I didn't get my um license yeah. until I passed the test to become a firefighter. Your, because Your driver's license. Right, because you need a license to be a firefighter. Did you grow up your whole life in the city? Or, yes. Of course you, yeah, I was yeah. a New York kid too. Of right. course, you had
0: no idea how to drive until someone said you absolutely have to.
1: Right, there's no need for it. So yeah. I bought a car when I was in the academy because I didn't know where I was going to be assigned. Yeah. I've been at my firehouse for almost four years. I have less than 12,000 miles on the car. There's no need to drive. So I'm not looking forward to driving the rig, but I'll do it because it's, uh, it's a that, responsibility. I see the guys who drive them, like, they can really maneuver those things around. No, no, no. Like, and, and this might be biased because I, I'm i in the firehouse, but the guys in my firehouse are amazing at it. We always have double park cars. There's a lot of churches in the area. So on Sundays, there's, like, triple park cars. There's schools everywhere. So there's, like, people pulling up to get their kids and leaving their cars unattended. It never slows our response time. And that's the thing. I feel like I'm not going to be able to do that. They just send you out to a parking lot somewhere and have you do figure eights with a fire engine. You, and... The training's at the academy. Yeah. I imagine it's got to be like an
0: obstacle course or something, right? There is, yeah. That's a lot, especially if you don't even drive a sedan
1: that often. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, it is what it is. Like if you don't yeah. pass, the only thing that happens is you go back to your house and not a chauffeur. They won't send you out of chauffeur school unless you're ready to drive. Is that something you need to be able to do to get promoted?
0: Like, No. With an, no, it's sort mm-hmm. of optional.
1: Optional, as much as it's not a requisite for your job, but officers and the senior men make you guys do it. Is that because they want everyone to be able to do every part of the job? Right. So this is a job where people get sick and hurt a lot. So mm-hmm. if one of the senior men gets hurt and there's only four junior guys and none of us are chauffeurs, who's going to drive? You got to have a backup for the backup for the backup. Right.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
0: Driving to the fire, kind of figuring out what's going on. What's, what's going through your head? What are you doing? What's, what's
1: happening as you, as you make your way there? Can I tell you about my first nozzle job? Yeah, tell me all about it. The thing is, sometimes the training could seem uh, detrimental. So when you drill, we drill the same way over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. The drilling is usually harder than the actual job. So because when you're drilling, you're just drilling with your firehouse and there's only three people in the line. In mm-hmm. an actual job, first and second do companies are on the same line. So there's six people on the line. So the line is easier to move and you have help with you. So when you're drilling, it's harder. But when we drill, we drill in our response area. In this building, you do this, you go to the left and then you go up the stairs and you go to the right and then you go up the stairs. When we go to a fire, it may not necessarily be that building in that situation. Mm-hmm. So you have to remember what the point of the drill was, not the actual drill, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. So you're doing these drills over and over again and it like, kind of becomes muscle memory, I right. bet. Yeah. And you actually
1: have to fight that when yes, you get there. Exactly. For... Because it's not, it may not be that building. Yeah. It may not be that same scenario.
0: He's like, no, you have to judge the situation
1: right. as it's, not it's coming a, to you. It's not an empty stairwell where you're just drilling. It's people panicked running down the stairs yeah. and smoke. Um, so, so how did that feel when you got there for the first time? For- I, I was panicking. Like, I was the only junior guy in the firehouse at the time. It was all senior guys. I was three weeks into the job. I worked with most of the guys I was at the fire with maybe twice. The guy who was backing me up, Kenny Riley... He has 11 years on the job, and he he has a great personality. Like, he's never really anxious about anything. He's always calm. That didn't make me calm because I was like, this guy's always calm. Like, he doesn't know that he should be afraid. And it's ironic because that building that the fire was in, we had drilled on, like, the week before. And it was so much harder when we drilled. So I knew where to go, and I knew how to do it. But I was also panicked because, like, now— we were moving a lot faster than when we drilled. So, wait, this is a real fire. This is a real fire. At a building you would previously used as a drill spot. Yes. Does that happen frequently? Or Yeah, it happens. So we drill in our response area, and we do building inspections. That Part of the training is we do building inspections, one, to make sure the buildings are up to cold, but mm-hmm. two, to make sure everyone in the firehouse knows the building or any, like, freak... Things about the building, like the standpipe is in the hallway instead of in the stairwell, Mm. or this elevator doesn't work. Does the building kind of have to agree, okay, we're going to let the
0: firemen come in? No, you can just... No, yeah, uh,
1: it's it's, it's not a residential home. It's a uh, apartment building. It's multiple dwellings, so we have access to it. So we had drilled there. The stairwell is a uh, wraparound. Do you know what that is? Mm. Where the stairwell goes around the elevator shaft. Okay. So those are harder because there's like a formula. When you're going up the stairwell, it's one length, which is 50 feet of hose per floor. For a wraparound, it's a length and a half. So the math is different. So when we drilled, I did every position. I had the nozzle, I had the backup, I had the control. And the way you stretch is a little different for each position. And it was so hard. and It was so difficult. And it was during the summer and I was soaking sweat. When we did the job, and it took forever to get up to the third floor. When we went to the fire, it was on the fourth floor. And we were up there in like a minute because there was three companies helping us move the line. So it was a lot easier. For me, I wish it would have taken longer because I was nervous. and I was out of fear. So when you're going up, it's taxing, but your job doesn't start until you get to the fire floor. Yeah. So you try to conserve your energy. So we don't put our face masks on if we can breathe. Smoke usually rises. So coming up, we're, we're not usually going to encounter much smoke. So going up to the fire floor, I didn't have my face piece on. There was no need for it. Before we get to the fire, the nozzleman's job is to get down, put his face piece on, bleed the line, which means we let a little of the water out to get all the air out of the line, and then we have the line ready, and then we make sure the backup is ready to go also. Even if the boss is screaming, let's go, let's go, let's go, you're going in, we're not moving until the backup guy is ready. Mm -hmm. That's how it is in our firehouse, because we're a nozzle team. But Kenny is a lot more seasoned than I was, and he was backing me up, and he was ready before I was. So he flaked out the line, I put my mask on, I turned around, the officer's at the door, he's, like, smiling and waiting to open the door. And... I have the nozzle and my heart is racing and I turn around to make sure Kenny's ready and he's smiling. And I'm like, what the hell? And to be honest, when I saw him smiling, it calmed me down. And then he opened the door and like fire rolled over. I opened the line and I knocked it down and it was out in a second. Once you put water in the fire, it's in a lot of cases, it's like a mattress fire or it's just one small content that's burning. Once you put water on it, it darkens down because it's smoky, but it, it goes out pretty fast. The smallest line we use is 125 gallons of water a minute. The next line is 250 gallons. So it goes out pretty fast, assuming that we don't have to chase it or it's not in the walls. This one was just a lava lamp that had burned in the bathroom and the bathroom contents were on fire. So I knocked it down pretty fast. And then I I come out and like all the nerves are gone. I remember all the drills. I remember to go in a circular motion to help vent, push the smoke away from us. I remember to sweep the floor with the line, which is like using the water to push what's in front of us away in case there's any debris that can hurt us or in case there's any hot water that can hurt us. So I swept the line and I washed down. The truck comes in and they open up the walls to make sure there's no extension. I wash it down again. And I come out and take my facepiece off. And everybody's smiling, giving me high fives. It was like an awesome feeling. Yeah. Like, for me, it was like a huge thing for everyone else. It's like, now you've done it. You know, now you're a firefighter. That's sort your baptism. Yeah, it was. Baptism if, by fire. Yep. That literally. It was actually a very cool feeling. What does it feel like
0: when the water comes out of that hose? Like, what is that sensation like?
1: It's like the hose line is trying to get away from you. It's yeah. like if you're walking a dog that's pretty big and pretty heavy and it's trying to get away from you, and you're pulling back and it's pulling forward, for those hose line, it's opposite. You're trying to keep it in front of you, but it's pulling back. That's, I see. That's what the back guy is for. And for the two and a half inch hose line, which is the one at 250 gallons, it's pretty heavy. So we've talked about what it's like actually going out on a fire. What is your typical day like? So let's say I'm coming in for a day tour. Everybody who comes in for the day tour brings something for breakfast. If you're a junior man, you bring something that you have to cook because junior men are always supposed to be doing something. If you're a senior man, you can bring, like, bagels or food where you can just put on the table and people help themselves. So the day tour starts at 9. The rule is that firefighters are an hour early. Uh, so all the guys with time come in at 8 o'clock, but junior men are an hour earlier than that, so we all come in at 7 o'clock. <laughs> just you get two hours tacked on your day. <laughs> so we, uh, we put the breakfast in the kitchen. We get our gear, make sure it's ready, and then we go and change it to our work duty clothes. Then we come and we relieve whoever is working the night before And we take over the spot, and we start breakfast, we make breakfast, people eat breakfast. The guys who worked the night before would tell us anything that we need to know about things that might have happened that are going to affect our day tour. Then we check the rig, make sure all the tools are where they're supposed to be, everything is working. And uh, then we do committee work, which is like cleaning the house. We do the laundry. We do the we clean the bed sheets and we clean the kitchen. We clean the bathrooms. We is there like a chore wheel? Like how do you decide who gets what job there? So the, the most undesirable job is done by the junior men. Yeah. So like if ba- is that the bathroom? Yes. Well, yeah, that's the, So let's say you and I work together, you're a senior man, I'm junior. If we're cleaning, I'm cleaning the bathroom, you're changing the sheets. If we're in the kitchen, I'm doing the dishes, you're sweeping. <laughs> whatever, whatever the most undesired part is, is what I do. Then we we'll usually do a drill. Then we do building inspection. Then we go out and we buy lunch. Then we all eat lunch together. We don't buy pre-made lunch. We buy lunch that you have to make. We all make the lunch. We do it together. Cooking is a big part of the... It's a huge thing. They always say in the academy, the best time in the firehouse is in the kitchen. And it's the truth. Because it's the only time where there's not really any rank. So you start cooking. Yeah. Then we eat. We're always on call. So all these things might be interrupted by a run, but we eat and then the guys with time will like go their own way the junior men will either study or we'll go over a drill that doesn't require a lot of physical strength because we've already done that type of drill for the day you know like we'll talk about something or we'll simulate the situation and then we just wait for the rest of the tour so like a junior guy the day tour ends at six at four thirty five o'clock we start making a pot of coffee or we start making nosh because the guys who are coming in for the night tour will come in so we just like present the house for them that's kind of nice yeah it's cool what's your favorite thing to cook for the house for me i, w- I was afraid that you gonna ask this question because it sounds typical but i made chicken and waffles once oh man and most people hadn't had it and they loved it yeah so, like it's, that's dangerous because people are gonna ask for that all the time right but we divide the the cooking so the engine company has the meals one month and then the next month is the truck company so i most have to do it once every other month oh that's good
0: yeah what's the
1: most frightening fire you've ever had to put out? The most frightening fire I ever had to put out, I wasn't the nozzle job. Last year, uh, we lost a member. His name was Mike. He, was, he had 15 years on. is a the thing, there's a cliche where uh, the person who dies is the best person ever. Like, no one ever says anything bad about someone who passes away. But Mike was actually probably the best firefighter I worked with. So we were in that building, and there was, there was a movie being shot there, so it wasn't the layout that we know it to be. So he passed away during that fire. It wound up being a third alarm. And... third alarm is the worst, right? Or or is it? So yeah, five s- alarm's the worst, right? Six alarm is... Six alarm. F- I know nothing. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is, this is, I guess technically you can go to as many alarms as you need, but I don't know that I've ever gone past six alarms. This fire, Mike had the nozzle. The idea that someone who was as good a firefighter as he is mm-hmm. could pass away. It just makes you think that you need to be a little... You always need to be on your game. And that fire, for me, it was it was intimidating because... I was inside the building and I kept hearing radio transmissions of people saying like giving maydays and calling emergencies and the chief ordered everybody out, but I didn't see anything that was dangerous. So in my head, I'm like, what are they seeing that I'm not seeing? It was scary. And then the whole situation around that made it scary. Sorry for the loss, by the way. Thank you. I mean, when you're in one of those fires,
0: what worries you more, or scares people more? Is it it seeing flames? Is it smoke? Like what is the thing that
1: gets a firefighter nervous? I think. What gets a firefighter nervous is losing track of where you are. Flame doesn't really worry you. It's not to say that it doesn't hurt you, but if you see the flame, you know how to avoid it. I think if there's a collapse or if you lose your direction because there's heavy black smoke and you don't know where the exit is, that's an unsettling feeling. So we have situations for that. We press an emergency alert button on our radio and uh, people will come find us or we'll give a in and say where the last location that we knew was and people will come find us. But after you get the alert and before you're found or you find your way out, it's forever. It's an unsettling feeling. Have you been in that moment where you're, you don't know where you are? That far, I was in that situation where I didn't know where I was. And in my head, I was thinking, and this is not something that I should be proud of, but I was thinking, there's so much going on, I don't want to be a problem. I don't want to give a mayday. It's something I should never think, but I didn't want to give a mayday because I didn't want them to, I didn't want to wind up being five feet from the door and them coming to get me. And I'm like, I'm wasting the resources on something that was an emergency So I didn't give a mayday, but I was panicking. And then I heard someone else operating and i just went to them and i found a window and then i was able to centralize you got you got lucky yeah i imagine
0: though that if you're in that situation they probably tell you they they want you to right They do uh, because if you are in a in dire straits then they're going to want you to call for help
1: they do no one would ever say what i thought was understandable they would say that's silly and i should call them immediately we were talking earlier about how the latter company's responsibility is to find civilians at a fire there's something called a fast truck is a ladder company has to sign only to help firefighters. Their only job for that fire is to assist a firefighter in need. So if I were to call in Mayday, they would come get me. And they were already monitoring everybody's position, so it wouldn't have been hard. Part of it was pride. I didn't want to say that I was lost because I felt like I was at a door a second ago. I should be able to find it. But the more I turned around, I wasn't able to find it. It was uncomfortable. But then I heard someone, and you're right, I got lucky. Is that part of kind of learning to be a firefighter is getting over pride? It is. Yeah, I definitely will never do that again. The second I feel lost, I would call out. Even if I don't say it over the radio, I'll call out to see if anyone's near me. You work 24-hour shifts sometimes. Is it hard going out when you don't have a lot of sleep? It hasn't been yet. We usually prepare for it. So the day before, I'm not out doing a lot of things, you know? I'm well rested. So the 24 hours, unless it's a busy day, there have been busy days during the holiday season where it's exhausting and then like... Like, we don't sleep just because it's, it's too hard to guarantee to be out in 45 seconds, but we'll we'll relax a lot, especially after midnight. There's no drills. We're not really hanging out. with Everyone does their own thing, and people are either laying down or sitting on couches. There are some times where I felt like I was never able to take my gear off because the bells kept going off. <laughs> like, I'm a junior, man, so I don't want to show my frustration. I'm like, <laughs> like, because they stopped calling for a second. But And then there are times where you get a fire, and you're happy about it because... After fire, you have to take time to clean up. So I'm like, at least now we can have like 40 minutes just to relax. Is
0: there one fire or one call you've had where you're particularly proud of what you guys did
1: when you went out? So what happens when when the firefighters lost is um, the department does a review of the whole thing, not to see if anyone's at fault, but just to see what lessons can be learned from this. And then they do a safety report and they send out to all the firehouses in the company. When I read about our response for that fire that Mike died at, I was proud of that. It was just something that was unavoidable. But the way we operated from start to finish, from the time it took us to get there, from the way we stretched the line to the radio transmissions, I felt like we did a great job. And I feel like, not that we did a better job than other companies would have done, but it was a tricky situation. So if it's a residential fire Mm -hmm. and a tenement was just a six-story building or lower, we can stretch the smallest hand line because it's easier to maneuver. The, The rooms are smaller, so it's easier to maneuver. If it's a commercial fire, like if it's in a restaurant or a store, we have to use a bigger one because there's a high volume of water. Mike stretched a bigger one, and I thought it was a residential building, but what he was stretching into was a restaurant on the lower level. And I felt like a lot of people would have made the mistake and stretched the thinner line. Yeah. You know, so I felt like everything we did was something to be proud of.
0: It's feeling like you did the job right, right, even if
1: it didn't end the way you wanted to. Yeah. Like reading the report, they weren't, they weren't praising us, they were just saying literally what happened. I was like, this is something that makes us look good. It's a professional job. Yeah. Now that you've been doing this for a little while and you now
0: are partly in charge of telling the younger guys what to do, what's the advice you give them when they show up? What's like, do you have any words
1: of wisdom usually? Two things. One, I tell them, always listen to the person who's telling you to do the most. So what happens is the guys in the firehouse are nice, right? So as a probie, for the 14 months that you're in probation, you always, for every run, you have to put on your full gear just so you can get into the habit of getting on your, get your gear on faster. There's a lot of times that we go on runs that we don't need our full gear. Like if I go to an EMS run, I don't need my coat. I don't need my mask. If I go to a CO run, the engine is not going to go in. Our job is to stay out in case there's an explosion. So I don't need those things either because I'm not going in. As a probe, you have to do it. So what happens is guys with time will see that the probe's is doing the right thing and it's a hot day and it's like 90 degrees and we go to a CO run. And they're like, oh, you don't have to, don't worry about that. You don't have to put that on. I tell them, don't listen to that advice. Like always do what you know you're supposed to do, even if people are giving you permission not to do it. Get into the habit of doing the right thing all the time. The other thing is the advice that Deep uh, Paul Debart, the senior man in the truck, gave us is you never know what people are going through. So it might seem like a small thing for you, but it's a big thing for them. They wouldn't have called if it wasn't. Last question. What does your mom think now? So my sister also passed away uh three weeks into me being on the job. So which is say three three weeks into me knowing the guys in the firehouse. Yeah. And her death was unexpected. She was only thirty six years old. We didn't know she was sick. And The guys put money together and helped pay for the funeral, and everyone got their tours covered and came to the funeral. I've only known them for three weeks. My family didn't know them at all. My mother was so touched by that, and she loved the firehouse after that. And then two years later, Mike died, and now she doesn't like the job anymore. So it's like a mixed thing. Like So she, she respects and appreciates the camaraderie in the firehouse and the way we operate and what they do for me and what we do for each other, but she's always worried about getting a call. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing all that, man. Of course. I appreciate it.
0: That's it for this week's episode of Working. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please leave a review at Apple Podcasts. And if you have thoughts, comments, feedback, whatever, just things you want to share, send me an email at workingatslate.com. I'll answer. I promise. I really do answer them. In the meantime, the producer on this show, as always, is Jessamine Molly. A special thank you to Justin D. Wright for the ad music and actually for letting me record in his studio the other week. It was an emergency intro recording. Anyway, catch us next time.